Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 1 about God's special relationship between God and man, which is called the inner life. And we'll learn how it starts and how God is always to stay first in the inner life relationship. Now, this message is available for free download on iTunes.com. That's free download at iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. And also available for free download and free listening at friendshipwithgod.org. So iTunes.com or friendshipwithgod.org. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, is not only a fantastic Bible teacher, a pastor, a CEO, a scientist, patent owner, and even the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year Award recipient winner, but Tom Cantor is also the owner and operator and curator of the first and original Creation Museum, the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. That's the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. We've got a museum day coming up this September, the very last Saturday of September. We've got Museum Day 2014. We'll have many special speakers. We'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. But Tom Cantor would love if you would visit the Creation and Earth History Museum if you're ever in the Southern California area, especially in the East County, San Diego area, San Diego, California. And the Creation Earth History Museum, you can learn more about that by going to Creation SD for San Diego, creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Learn more about the Creation and Earth History Museum from Tom Cantor. You can also go online for more creation resources, some of them from Tom Cantor, and also Bible teaching resources from Tom Cantor. You can find them all at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org, just click on resources and then Tom Cantor's materials. And you will find many materials on creation as well as Bible resources from Tom Cantor. Now, if you'd like more information on the Creation Earth History Museum or on Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program, or you'd just like to uh, call and donate and support this Bible teaching radio program so it continues on this station in your city, you can do so by calling us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. That's 800 247 3051. Again, 800 247 3051. Or go online after the program at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us today about the inner life. Lord, sin has destroyed so much, Lord, in our lives. And we know this morning, Lord, that you're the great restorer. And so we come to you this morning, Lord, and we we pray that you would take away sin in our hearts and restore to us that which sin has destroyed in us as we study and look more at our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read again those last few wonderful verses, starting at verse 15 of the chapter. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, we saw as we've been studying here that as we moved in this account of creation from the first chapter of Genesis to the second chapter, that the focus has become more and more zeroed down to relationships. That's the issue here, relationships. And we're going to see, as, as we've already begun to see, three very important relationships emerge that come right out of this chapter, chapter 2. First and most important relationship is the relationship between God and man, or between Adam and man. And the second relationship is very important. So that would be first one is the upwards relationship between man and God. And the second one's the sideways relationship between a man and his wife. And the third relationship is the downward between man and animals. Now the relationship, the first one, the most important between man and God is very important. Because why? As we've said before, God has created man with a deep capacity for God. A deep, a deep, a deep well, if you want to think of it that way, a deep ability for God. And that's the way we've been created. And that means that when we have God in our lives, that we have a deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, and everything just seems so right. But it also means that when we don't have God in our lives, that we have an equally deep sense of dissatisfaction, of emptiness, and this yearning, this just strong yearning, this looking for meaning and purpose in our lives. What am I here for? And it's that emptiness, it's that strong yearning that drives us into one of two ways. Either into this hopeless search in the world and in ourselves and in others, anybody but God, a search for the fulfillment, or the other direction, it drives us into a wonderful search for God where he promises, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And that, that, that's the good one. Now, Turn to John chapter 6, verse 35. Let's look at this issue here. John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never what? Hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. All right. Now, what two words does the Lord Jesus Christ use to describe life without God? Thirst and hunger, that's the two words that he uses. That's a description of a person without God. That's a description of a life without God. Hunger 
and thirst, a hungering and a thirst. It shows he understands perfectly man's emptiness. He understands why man yearns. You know, we have coyotes in a canyon that sometimes, especially during mating system, they, they can yearn. They howl. They howl, and that's like us. And you and I, we yearn. And God made us that way. He made us to yearn. And we yearn from this state of emptiness, from this need. We yearn because we got a big, great, big, giant hole in our hearts. That's the reason. That's the issue there. According to this verse, what are we yearning for? Life. We yearn for life. You know, Mike Hainer, you, know, well, you all know Mike Hainer, and he's, a, and he's battling stomach cancer, struggling to stay alive. And his last day at the hospital, you know, they give him one of those customer satisfaction forms for him to fill out. Anyway, how did you like your stay in the hospital forms? And, uh, and one of the questions was, what do you want most from your stay at a hospital? You know what he wrote down? Life. That's what I want. Life. Mike is a picture of what we all want, not just physical life, but inner life. We want a great inner life. We want an inner life. And according to Genesis 2-7, how did man get his original life? God breathed. God breathed into him the Spirit of God. So the inner life comes from a relationship with God. It comes from God. It's the person of God who breathed into Adam, and so that's a picture of relationship, and then all of a sudden he's alive. And that's why it's so simply put in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And that's, that's what it means. If a person has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, he has life. And by the same token, if a person does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's all about life. It's life, life, life. John chapter 17, verse 3. You're in, John. And here we have a wonderful, simple description of the whole issue of life. And it's a definition verse. It says, and... This is life eternal. So life eternal equals that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is eternal life according to this verse? That's right, to know Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. And so man starts off in Genesis 2-7 with this relationship. God breathed into him his spirit. He has life because he has the relationship. And ten verses later, in Genesis 2-17, man is warned. And he says, Adam, if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll just call it the forbidden tree. If you eat of the forbidden tree, he says, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And people read that verse and they say, well, he didn't die. So did it really mean on the day, in the very day? He said, on the day, in the day. See, he died because the inner life died, because the relationship was broken, because, because there was a relationship broken, therefore the inner life died. And so therefore, all the emptiness started, the shame, as we're going to see later, the running away from God. And so that's it. And that's why this verse is so important in John 6.35 that we've been showing because it's the solution to the problem of no life or lost life. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, what is he says? I am the bread of life. It's himself. It's him. It's not a new religion. It's not a new church or denomination. 
It's not a new baptism. It's not a new set of this do and live. It's a relationship. It's a new relationship is what he's talking about here. That's why he says, I am the bread of life, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through knowing him that life comes to the soul. It's through knowing him that satisfaction comes in that state of no life is solved. He knows what we're feeling, as we said. He understands the feeling of hunger for just simple life, hunger for life. He understands that, and he says, I'm the bread of life. Now, some Jewish people say, well, if this is true, then why doesn't the rabbinate come to that conclusion? Or why doesn't our synagogue believe that way? Or why don't our rabbis tell us that? Well, the answer, when you look at John 6.35, is that this, is, this verse and what he said is not addressing a rabbinate or a congregation, but who is this verse addressing? He. See? He. He that cometh to me. He that believeth on me. That's the key word. Because that's the word that says that he's addressing the individual. The individual. This person and that person and this person and that person. He that cometh to me shall never. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, All right, let's ask another question. So you're coming, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you want this life, you come to John 6.35, and now the question is, what do I do to get the eternal life, to get the inner life? How do I get this inner life? How does a person get it? You come. You come to him. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, he that cometh to me, cometh to me. It's all about him. Come to him how? As the great creator of Genesis 2. Come to him as the great repairer that we're going to see in Genesis 3. And what's his promise? His promise is, he says, I promise you, you will never hunger. You'll never experience that anymore. So this is the first and primary relationship of Genesis 2. Very, very important, the relationship between God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a good way to start off the day. You can try this tomorrow if you want. When you've just, when you wake up in the morning, see if you can remember this. I don't know if you can remember this when you first wake up, but try. When you first wake up in the morning and you're in your bed and you just, before you even open your eyes, and you just, you woke up, or right after you open your eyes, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, before you get out of bed, just throw the covers back and look up to the ceiling, stretch yourself out on the bed there and pray silently to God. Just say something like this. Oh God, here I am this morning. This bed is an altar. My body is the whole burnt morning sacrifice. Right here, Lord. And just like you told Israel that every morning they were to offer a whole burnt offering every morning, that's me. I'm the whole burnt offering. Would you please take your property this morning? Take me as your offering this morning. Claim your property. Take my heart. Take my thoughts. Take my mind. Take everything of me for this day and fill me with yourself. Try that. Try that. Because that establishes in the morning that very important relationship of God first. So Adam had this relationship with God before he even had his relationship with his wife. As a matter of fact, he even had his job from God before he had the relationship with God with his wife. So in so many relationships and marriages, 
they end in disaster because people, they look to a love relationship between humans to fill this deep yearning in the life. And only God can fill that. And no matter how wonderful a relationship is, might be between a man and a woman, it can never replace the relationship between God and man. It can never satisfy, God says, the deep yearning. It can't take away that hunger and that thirst. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. Now, so Adam had this relationship with God, and that's why the the first few words of the Bible are so important. In the beginning, God. We can make that for a model for our lives. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of my day, God. In the middle of my day, God. In the end of my day, God. God, God, that's the focus. And so when we look at, at Genesis 2 and we see these verses like verse 15 through 17 where he took the man and he put him in the garden to dress and keep it and then he gave him instructions of what he could eat and what he couldn't eat. Then comes verse 18 where the Lord God says, it's not good that man should be alone and that I'll make him a help meet for him. So he plans this out. And why does he do this? Because God is going to give to Adam a gift, another gift. He's given him many gifts and another gift. And this other gift is going to be Eve, his wife. What were some of the other gifts that God's already given to Adam so far? Life, he gave him life. That's a gift from God. That's certainly a gift from God, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Ever thought about how often the Holy Spirit is spoken of in terms of a gift? John 14, 16 says, we saw it last week, I pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Verse John 3, 24, it says that, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Verse John 4, 13, it says, because he hath given us of his Spirit. First Thessalonians 4, 8, because he hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. So the life, the Holy Spirit, that's a gift. Okay, what's another one? Work was a gift. It's a gift. It's terrible to not have anything to do. Maybe you think it's great. I don't think it's, I don't. Anyway, it's a great thing to have purpose in life. It's a good thing. What else? The family is a gift from God and his wife, and that's true. And what about the trees and the plants? That was a gift from God, not just for food, but for beauty. God didn't have to make them beautiful. He said, well, all you need is just to eat, so, you know, why waste it? Water. He gave him water, he gave him rivers. He, there's the naming of these four rivers, four very important rivers, which water which sustains the, the plants. Um, the word in Hebrew is that they may drink. The water, that the plants are, get thirsty. Right? Trees and plants and animals. He gave them animals to serve them. He gave them a beautiful garden. All these things, gifts, 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 that God gave to Adam. Very important what God did there. Have you ever thought in your life, what has God given to me? You know, with that kind of mentality. Remember when we looked at Luke 16, Luke 16, it says, I'm going to read it to you, 16, 1 through 2. He said also unto his disciple, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. The same was accused unto him that he wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of the give an account of thy stewardship? He says those words. Give an account of thy stewardship. That's Luke 16, 2. You know, have you ever thought that we're going to hear that from God? Each one of us is going to hear that from the Lord Jesus Christ. Those very words, give an account of your stewardship. So what's a good thing to do? Make a list. Make a list of all the things that God has given to us. 
all the things that he's given to us, and then what am I going to say about that when i got to give an account? Prepare so that you can give a good account. Well, I thought about that, God. As a matter of fact, funny you should ask that because, you know, I wrote it down, and I thought about it, right? Because that's a good thing to understand that what we have, we don't deserve, we don't have a right to. It's a gift that's been given to us, spouses included. And you write down exactly how you're using what God has given you for him. Why? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we have to all, every single one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We have to all be there. And every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether it be good or bad. So all these things were given to Adam as in a stewardship, temporarily. He didn't, temporarily. And he would have to give an account of what he did. Now, so he said, okay, it's not good. So what does it mean, it's not good? We already saw, everything, God kept saying everything was good. All of a sudden, something's not good. Well, it's just, what it means when it says it wasn't good that man should dwell alone was it meant that man was not complete yet, Right? I mean, couldn't it have been written that way for verse 7? When, after God had made Adam from the dust, couldn't he say, it's not good that man does not have inner life, and so he breathes into him the breath of life, right? And so he keeps working on him. So he says, okay, now we got him formed, and, he's, and so now we're going to give him inner life and breathe into him. He's not complete, doesn't have the inner life. And now he goes on, he says, okay, he's not complete, so I'm going to have to create the woman. And so when you look at that, that's, that's very interesting because first, man was not complete until man became a temple. That you could call that the importance of the templeship of man. Each one of us sitting in here today, it's important to God that we understand that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have individual templeship before God. So we need to have temples which are clean, that he doesn't have to come and drive out money changers out of. We need to have temples where the Holy Spirit feels at home and is welcome and where we have friendship and fellowship and meeting with God inside of us, the templeship of the believers. That was the first thing. Well, these two words he describes now that says that man, it wasn't good that man should be alone. And he says the two words. What are the two words in verse 18 that are missing? He needs help. That's the word Azer, Azer, from which we get the word Ezra, which was the name of my stepfather. So the word Azer, so this is a very important word. It's an interesting word. It's a root word, and it means in its root to surround, as in protect, surround. I remember when I used to travel overseas, and, and I'd always travel out to London on a Friday, and so I'd get in place and do my work, and David does that way too, and come back for the next weekend. So I travel out one time, and, and, uh, and I would always give my wife the itinerary hour by hour, where I'm going to be, and she would always write down the, the equivalent times, and then she would be praying for me. And so she, she was helping me, surrounding me with God's protection and prayer. And she was being the azer for me. So on Monday morning, December 12, 1988, you know, I woke up in London, traveled all the weekend from San Diego to get there, and and I had to get the train down to Victoria Station so I could get the other train down to Cardiff, Wales, to go visit some customers. So I leave the hotel at 7 a.m., and my wife is praying for me. It's 11 p.m. in San Diego when I left the hotel. 
and I catch this taxi, and immediately we hit heavy traffic. And so what am I doing? I'm starting to sweat. I sweat a lot anyways, but any of this other time I was really sweating, and I'm watching my watch here, and I'm saying, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to make it, and I'm really stressed out. And all the while, my wife's praying for me, and so I go running into the train station, and of course I miss the train. So I get the next train. I thought, okay, well, you know, I calculate how late I'm going to be. Well, make things worse, that train pulls out of the station and then just sits there in the middle of nowhere for three solid hours. I finally make my way, you know, down to Cardiff. You know, I don't know. I think the meeting was scheduled for 10, and I think I arrived at 2 or something like that. And immediately when I got there into the company in Cardiff, they said, oh, your wife's on the phone, you know. And so I pick up the phone, and, and she's in tears and beside herself. She said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she said, well, we've been watching the news. And, and she said, and we've just learned that the third worst train crash happened in London this morning on the train you were supposed to be on at Clapham Junction. That was the 718 to Waterloo. And uh, the signals failed. It was a real cold day. And three chains came together and crashed. And, and I was like, oh. So it was even at the company. They had the news going on and they were lining the bodies up on the white snowy banks and the blood was showing on the snow as they were lining them up there. It was really dramatic. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We need your support to continue this Bible teaching radio program on this station in your city. Now to encourage you to support this program, we're offering Tom Cantor's 18-day Calvary CPR book. Conversational prayer reading is what he'll teach you through this book. Bible breathing and meditating on the verses that pertain to the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now, Tom Cantor is giving this book to you for a donation of $10 or more for your support of this Bible teaching radio program. You can call us now at 800 247 3051 to order this book, Calvary 18 Day CPR, 1 800 247 3051. 1 800 247 3051. Again, 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.